Book fourteen, chapters seven and eight of the Antiquities of the Jews, volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Antiquities of the Jews, volume three, by Flavius Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Book fourteen, chapters seven and eight. Chapter seven. How Crassus came into Judea and pillaged the temple, and then marched against the Parthians and perished with his army, and how Cassius obtained Syria and put a stop to the Parthians and then went up to Judea. Now Crassus, as he was going upon his expedition against the Parthians, came into Judea and carried off the money that was in the temple, which Pompey had left, being two thousand talents, and was disposed to spoil it of all the gold belonging to it, which was eight thousand talents. He also took a beam, which was made of solid beaten gold, of the weight of three hundred minae, each of which weighed two pounds and a half. It was the priest who was guardian of the sacred treasures, and whose name was Eleazar, that gave him this beam, not out of a wicked design, for he was a good and a righteous man but being entrusted with the custody of the veils belonging to the temple, which were of admirable beauty, and a very costly workmanship, and hung down from this beam, when he saw that Crassius was busy in gathering money, and was in fear for the entire ornaments of the temple, he gave him this beam of gold as a ransom for the whole, but this not till he had given his oath that he would remove nothing else out of the temple, but be satisfied with this only, which he should give him, being worth many ten thousand shekels. Now this beam was contained in a wooden beam that was hollow, but was known to no others. But Eleazar alone knew it. Yet did Crassus take away this beam, upon the condition of touching nothing else that belonged to the temple, and then break his oath, and carried away all the gold that was in the temple. And let no one wonder that there was so much wealth in our temple, since all the Jews throughout the habitable earth, and those that worshipped God, nay, even those of Asia and Europe, sent their contributions to it, and this from very ancient times. Nor is the largeness of these sums without its attestation, nor is that greatness owing to our vanity, as raising it without ground to so great a height. But there are many witnesses to it, and particularly Strabo of Cappadocia, who says thus, quote, Mithridates sent to Cos, and took the money which Queen Cleopatra had deposited there, as also eight hundred talents belonging to the Jews. Now we have no public money, but only what appertains to God, and it is evident that the Asian Jews removed this money out of fear of Mithridates, for it is not probable that those of Judea, who had a strong city and temple, should send their money to Cos nor is it likely that the Jews who are the inhabitants of Alexandria should do so neither, since they were in no fear of Mithrodites. And Strabo himself bears witness to the same thing in another place, that at the same time that Scylla passed over into Greece, in order to fight against Mithrodites, he sent Lucullus to put an end to a sedition that our nation, of whom the habitable earth is full, had raised in Cyrene, where he speaks thus, quote, there were four classes of men among those of Cyrene, that of citizens, that of husbandmen, the third of strangers, and the fourth of Jews. 
Now these Jews are already gotten into all cities, and it is hard to find a place in the habitable earth that hath not admitted this tribe of men, and is not possessed by them. And it hath come to pass that Egypt and Cyrene, as having the same governors, and a great number of other nations, imitate their way of living, and maintain great bodies of these Jews in a peculiar manner, and grow up to greater prosperity with them, and make use of the same laws with that nation also. Accordingly the Jews have places assigned them in Egypt, wherein they inhabit, besides what is peculiarly allotted to this nation at Alexandria, which is a large part of that city. There is also an ethnarch allowed them, who governs the nation, and distributes justice to them, and takes care of their contracts, and of the laws to them belonging, as if he were the ruler of a free republic. In Egypt, therefore, this nation is powerful, because the Jews were originally Egyptians, and because the land wherein they inhabit, since they went thence, is near to Egypt. They also removed into Cyrene, because that this land adjoined to the government of Egypt, as well as does Judea, or rather was formerly under the same government. And this is what Strabo says. So when Crassus had settled all things, as he himself pleased, he marched into Parthia, where both he himself and all his army perished, as hath been related elsewhere. But Cassius, as he fled from Rome to Syria, took possession of it, and was an impediment to the Parthians, who by reason of their victory over Crassus made incursions upon it. And as he came back to Tyre, he went up into Judea also, and fell upon Terechi, and presently took it, and carried about thirty thousand Jews captives, and slew Pithalaus, who succeeded Aristobulus in his seditious practices, and that by the persuasion of Antipater, who proved to have great interest in him, and was at that time in great repute with the Idumeans also, out of which nation he married a wife, who was the daughter of one of their eminent men, and her name was Cypros, by whom he had four sons, Phaseal and Herod, who was afterwards made king, and Joseph and Pheroras, and a daughter named Salome. This Antipater cultivated also a friendship and mutual kindness with other potentates, but especially with the king of Arabia, to whom he committed his children, while he fought against Aristobulus. So Cassius removed his camp, and marched to Euphrates, to meet those that were coming to attack him, as hath been related by others. But some time afterward Caesar, when he had taken Rome, and after Pompey and the Senate were fled beyond the Ionian Sea, freed Aristobulus from his bonds, and resolved to send him into Syria, and delivered two legions to him, that he might set matters right, as being a potent man in that country but Aristobulus had no enjoyment of what he hoped for from the power that was given him by Caesar, for those of Pompey's party prevented it and destroyed him by poison, and those of Caesar's party buried him. His dead body also lay for a good while embalmed in honey, till Antony afterward sent it to Judea, and caused him to be buried in the royal sepulchre. But Scipio, upon Pompey's sending to him to slay Alexander, the son of Aristobulus, because the young man was accused of what offenses he had been guilty of at first against the Romans, cut off his head, and thus did he die at Antioch. But Ptolemy, the son of Menias, who was the ruler of Chalcis, 
under Mount Libanus, took his brethren to him, and sent his son Philippian to Ascalon to Aristobulus's wife, and desired her to send back with him her son Antigonus, and her daughters, the one of which, whose name was Alexandra, Philippian fell in love with, and married her, though afterward his father Ptolemy slew him, and married Alexandra, and continued to take care of her brethren. Chapter 8 The Jews become confederates with Caesar when he fought against Egypt, the glorious actions of Antipater, and his friendship with Caesar, the honors which the Jews received from the Romans and Athenians. Now after Pompey was dead, and after that victory Caesar had gained over him, Antipater, who managed the Jewish affairs, became very useful to Caesar when he made war against Egypt, and that by the order of Hyrcanus. For when Mithridates of Perganus was bringing his auxiliaries, and was not able to continue his march through Pelusium, but obliged to stay at Ascalon, Antipater came to him, conducting three thousand of the Jews, armed men. He had also taken care the principal men of the Arabians should come to his assistance, and on his account it was that all the Syrians assisted him also, as not willing to appear behindhand in their alacrity for Caesar, that is, Jamblichus the ruler and Ptolemy his son, and Ptolemy the son of Soamus, who dwelt at Mount Libanus, and almost all the cities. So Mithridates marched out of Syria and came to Pelusium, and when its inhabitants would not admit him, he besieged the city. Now Antipater signalized himself here, and was the first who plucked down a part of the wall, and so opened a way to the rest, whereby they might enter the city, and by this means Pelusium was taken. But it happened that the Egyptian Jews, who dwelt in the country called Onion, would not let Antipater and Mithridates with their soldiers pass to Caesar, but Antipater persuaded them to come over with their party, because he was of the same people with them, and that chiefly by showing them the epistles of Hyrcanus the high priest, wherein he exhorted them to cultivate friendship with Caesar, and to supply his army with money, and all sorts of provisions which they wanted. And accordingly, when they saw Antipater and the high priest of the same sentiments, they did as they were desired. And when the Jews about Memphis heard that these Jews were come over to Caesar, they also invited Mithridates to come to them. So he came, and received them also into his army. And when Mithridates had gone over all Delta, as the place is called, he came to a pitched battle with the enemy near the place called the Jewish camp. Now Mithridates had the right wing, and Antipater the left. And when it came to a fight, that wing where Mithridates was gave way, and was likely to suffer extremely, unless Antipater had come running to him with his own soldiers along the shore, when he had already beaten the enemy that opposed him. So he delivered Mithridates, and put those Egyptians who had been too hard for him to flight. He also took their camp, and continued in the pursuit of them. He also recalled Mithridates, who had been worsted, and was retired a great way off, of whose soldiers eight hundred fell, but of Antipater's fifty. So Mithridates sent an account of this battle to Caesar, and openly declared that Antipater was the author of this victory, and of his own preservation, insomuch that Caesar commended Antipater then, 
and made use of him all the rest of that war in the most hazardous undertakings. He happened also to be wounded in one of those engagements. However, when Caesar, after some time, had finished that war, and was sailed away for Syria, he honored Antipater greatly, and confirmed Hyrcanus in the high priesthood, and bestowed on Antipater the privilege of a citizen of Rome, and a freedom from taxes everywhere. And it is reported by many that Hyrcanus went along with Antipater in this expedition, and came himself into Egypt. And Strabo of Cappadocia bears witness to this, when he says thus, in the name of Asinius, quote, After Mithridates had invaded Egypt, and with him Hyrcanus the high priest of the Jews, quote. Nay, the same Strabo says thus again, in another place, in the name of Hypsicrates, that, quote, Mithridates at first went out alone, but that Antipater, who had the care of the Jewish affairs, was called by him to Ascalon, and that he had gotten ready three thousand soldiers to go along with him, and encouraged other governors of the country to go along with him also, and that Hyrcanus the high priest was also present in this expedition. This is what Strabo says. But Antigonus, the son of Aristobulus, came at this time to Caesar, and lamented his father's fate, and complained that it was by Antipater's means that Aristobulus was taken off by poison, and his brother was beheaded by Scipio, and desired that he should take pity of him who had been ejected out of that principality which was due to him. He also accused Hyrcanus and Antipater as governing the nation by violence, and offering injuries to himself. Antipater was present, and made his defense as to the accusations that were laid against him. He demonstrated that Antigonus and his party were given to innovation, and were seditious persons. He also put Caesar in mind what difficult services he had undergone when he assisted him in his wars, and discoursed about what he was a witness of himself. He added that Aristobulus was justly carried away to Rome, as one that was an enemy to the Romans, and could never be brought to be a friend to them, and that his brother had no more than he deserved from Scipio, as being seized in committing robberies, and that this punishment was not inflicted on him in a way of violence or injustice by him that did it. When Antipater had made this speech, Caesar appointed Hyrcanus to be high priest, and gave Antipater what principality he himself should choose, leaving the determination to himself. So he made him procurator of Judea. He also gave Hyrcanus leave to raise up the walls of his own city, upon his asking that favor of him, for they had been demolished by Pompey. And this grant he sent to the consuls of Rome, to be engraven on the capital. The decree of the Senate was this that follows. Quote, Lucius Valerius, the son of Lucius the Praetor, referred this to the Senate upon the Ides of December in the Temple of Concord. There were present at the writing of this decree Lucius Caponius, the son of Lucius of the Colline tribe, and Papirius of the Quirine tribe, concerning the affairs which Alexander, the son of Jason, and Numenius, the son of Antiochus, and Alexander, the son of Dositheus, ambassadors of the Jews, good and worthy men, proposed, who came to renew that league of good will and friendship with the Romans, which was in being before. 
they also brought a shield of gold as a mark of confederacy valued at fifty thousand pieces of gold and desired that letters might be given them directed both to the free cities and to the kings that their country and their havens might be at peace and that no one among them might receive any injury it therefore pleased the senate to make a league of friendship and good will with them and to bestow on them whatsoever they stood in need of and to accept of the shield which was brought by them this was done in the ninth year of hyrcanus the high priest and ethnarch in the month panamus hyrcanus also received honors from the people of athens as having been useful to them on many occasions and when they wrote to him they sent him this decree as it here follows quote, under the prutania and priesthood of dionysius the son of Aesculapius, on the fifth day of the latter part of the month panamus this decree of the athenians was given to their commanders when agathocles was archon and eucles the son of menander of alamusia was the scribe in the month munichion on the eleventh day of the prutania a council of the presidents was held in the theatre dorotheus the high priest and the fellow presidents with him put it to the vote of the people dionysius the son of dionysius gave the sentence since hyrcanus the son of alexander the high priest and ethnarch of the jews continues to bear good will to our people in general and to every one of our citizens in particular and treats them with all sorts of kindness and when any of the athenians come to him either as ambassadors or on any occasion of their own he receives them in an obliging manner and sees that they are conducted back in safety of which we have had several former testimonies it is now also decreed at the report of theodosius the son of theodorus and upon his putting the people in mind of the virtue of this man and that his purpose is to do us all the good that is in his power to honour him with a crown of gold the usual reward according to the law and to erect his statue in brass in the temple of demus and of the graces and that this present of a crown shall be proclaimed publicly in the theatre in the dionysian shows while the new tragedies are acting and in the panathenian and eleusinian and gymnical shows also and that the commanders shall take care while he continues in his friendship and perseveres his good will to us to return all possible honour and favour to the man for his affection and generosity that by this treatment it may appear how our people receive the good kindly and repay them a suitable reward and he may be induced to proceed in his affection towards us by the honours we have already paid him that ambassadors be also chosen out of all the athenians who shall carry this decree to him and desire him to accept of the honours we do him and to endeavour always to be doing some good to our city and this shall suffice us to have spoken as to the honours that were paid by the romans and the people of athens to hyrcanus end of book fourteen chapters seven and eight